So I know I'm in a season in life where I need a reminder of hope um, from speaking to some of you all. Um, you're, you're in that uh, boat as well. If you've been around even for a little bit, I usually tend to uh, grab a quote from somebody who I'm reading um, to, to go with the series. And the, the quote that I'm borrowing for this series is from uh, Charles Spurgeon. And he says that hope is like a star, not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity, but to be discovered in the night of adversity. So my prayer is that, that through this new teaching that in those parts in our lives that, that, that we hurt, in those parts of our lives where we feel that there is no hope, maybe there is a lot of despair, um, that we would be encouraged um, by his promises. So uh, we're going to get started with, with this uh, this morning, and I'm going to get uh, just begin by covering what hope is is not um, many times we use hope in a uncertain way, um, not really believing, but kind of like a whimsical. This is what I desire, um, and hope is anything but whimsical, wishful, bite your lip, uh, clasp your fist, and hope that the ball rims enough and then drops in. Hold a breath. That's not hope. It's wishful thinking and it's whimsical because there is no certainty in it. Um, hope is not about trying harder. It's not about doing more. Let, let me spend a little bit of time there. Here's what happens when we believe that hope, true hope, okay? And I'm going to distinguish here in a moment. So breathe in a little bit. Let, let this speak to you. But when we believe that we can make things happen and we try harder and we go faster, and if we don't achieve the result that we're hoping for, then that leads to despair. Because you say, I worked so hard and I was guaranteed by the book on the self-help aisle from Barnes & Noble that I would achieve X. And many times it doesn't work out the way the author penned it in the book. If you look at specifically just where the United States is at today as a culture, we're at the highest divorce rate ever. Yet we have the most self-help books on marriage ever. If you look at where the United States is at with addictions, drug addictions and alcohol addictions, cutting and porn, and the list can go on and on. We are at the all-time level. All-time level. But we have as many self-help books on that as we've ever had. So we've got to be able to be sensitive and wise enough to realize that the try harder, do more is not working, right? Statistics for folks in prison and many other things, all-time high. But we've got 
so many resources. Why is it not working? We're going to talk about that a little bit more. But hope is not. I need to strap up my boots. Hope is not. I need to try harder and do more. What is hope then? What is it? It's a confident expectation that Jesus Christ is going to flex his muscle in our despair and our hopelessness and that he is the one who's breaking through. It is a confident expectation in Jesus that he has good things for his children. It's a confident expectation in Jesus, the author of hope. Yes? Hope is vital. I read an American Medical Journal report, and it says that a human being can live anywhere from 30 or 40 days without food. Can live anywhere from 2 to 4 days max without water can be without air for anywhere from three to seven minutes. But we cannot be with hope for even a second. Hope leaves and there is death that creeps in slowly in our minds and in our hearts and in our bodies and we go to bed at night and we ache. There is no expectation of good to come from the hand of Jesus. It is vital. More often than not, hope is ushered in through suffering. In the night of adversity, that's where hope is born. These are the things that tend to happen in the night of adversity. We fall deeper into despair, into solitary confinement, fall back on some type of self-help, self-medication, whatever that might be for you, whatever, good and bad. But it doesn't help to get us out of it. At the same time, though, it is in suffering it is in that night of adversity when the stars shine brightest. And it's easy to overlook that. We'll talk about it a little bit more. Hope is not in the wants, but in the who. I hope I get blank. What is that for you? What are those for you? I'm attempting throughout this new series to give us a new perspective on what hope is, capital H. Hope is in a person. And that person is Christ, the author of hope. Things that we tend to desire and say, I hope I have, when we achieve them or grasp them, they tend to leave us feeling empty again. And then we move on to the next one. 
And when we think that's really the one that's going to satisfy, it's like a mist. That's just a reality of life. I know some folks who will look at my life and say, that's the life I want. And I'm like, no, you don't. You have no idea how broken it is. These superficial things are absolutely a small portion of what gives me hope. Hope is in a person of Jesus. I am there with you, Poyo, through thick and thin, in prosperity and in lack. It's not whimsical. It's not misty. We're going to look at Psalm 18. And we're going to see what the writer of the psalm says through this as he cries out for help, how Christ shows up, and how that can be true for us as well. So the writer says that the ropes of death entangled him. The floods of destruction swept over me. And in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Then the Lord thundered. The, th- the earth quaked and trembled. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. There's a homework assignment for you. Go and read Psalm 18. Read it a few times during the week. Listen to it. Plug it into your car. Put uh, One Republic or whoever it is that you listen to on pause for a little bit. Let it speak to you a little bit. Do it a couple times a week. Take two, three minutes of your time. Let's pull some things out of this. The writer describes his situation like this. The ropes of death entangled me. And in my distress, I cried out to the Lord... Let's pause on that first part real quick. The ropes of death. There are some things in my life right now that feel like I am tied with the ropes of death. Several things. Some financial situations. I've got a brother who's been in a prison in Mexico for four years for a crime that we believe that he did not commit. And I could go on and on and on. I feel that there are some situations in our lives and it's like the ropes of death are strangling life out of us. And I bet you do too. Because you can walk in here all day long and look at me and say life is perfect. It's not. We don't live in a utopia. That's a reality. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just trying to be real. We don't. But what do we do in the situations then? Well, suffering should drive us to God. We see that as he is entangled in the ropes of death, what does he do? In his distress, in his need, he cries out to God. What does that look like for us? It says, and it looks like, I'm drowning, can you help me? I often can't sleep over these issues, or I feel bitterness in me because of this and I feel anxiety and pressure because of this can you pull me out of it it should drive us to him and I would throw in as well that it should drive us to others 
to perhaps somebody who's sitting next to you because they don't have it all together and neither do you. And when that vulnerability comes down, you can encourage each other. It's not about upkeeping. It's not about trying to keep up. It's like, look, you're broken in some ways and so am I. What do we do? We've got each other. That is namely one of the ways that Jesus Christ tends to show up. He can answer your prayer right now like that. All power to answer any prayer, any desire you have. You know how he tends to do it? Look at scripture. He tends to surround you with people. So you won't be alone in the situations. So they will go and knock on your door and say, hey, I'm here. So they'll send you a text say, I'm thinking and praying about you right now. He tends to answer through his people. He's entangled and he cries out to the Lord. Let that be a good model for us. Then the Lord thundered. The earth quaked and trembled. He reached down from heaven. Theologians say that some things in Scripture are descriptive and some things are prescriptive. Prescriptive is it says jump and you jump. Descriptive is they're describing something to emphasize the power of it, the magnitude of it. This is descriptive. It's saying that the Lord thundered. The earth quaked and trembled. So big things are happening here, right? And he reaches down with his hand from heaven to save. Many times in our hope, listness, we let despair blind us. And we don't see him shaking the earth. Many times in our hopelessness and despair, we don't see his hand reaching down from heaven to pick us up. Because you know what we've done, unfortunately? We've domesticated the despair. We've broken it in so it becomes us. And every conversation is about the despair. Every conversation is about them and not you. And now you've domesticated it. It's become yours. You've inadvertently, in most cases, have built a guest room for them in your heart. And they've unpacked. And they've got their clothes in your drawers. And the words that come out of your mouth are the hopelessness and the despair because you own it. It's yours. It's the anxiety and the pressure and the lies and the deceit. And you pet it and you love it and you've domesticated it and we tend to miss out on what he's doing. On the quaking, on the shaking, on the reaching down saying, you are mine and with you I am well pleased. We just spent, what, seven, eight weeks in what our identity is in, the weight of that, a son, a daughter. He says, I'm working on your behalf right now. And the most beautiful part of the psalm is it says that he's rescued finally. He's rescued me. Why? The most beautiful of this, because he delights in me. 
Not because I impressed him with my good things. Not because I impressed him on how not evil I am compared to so and so. I didn't impress him with my resume, with my halves. He delighted in him. Think about the beauty of that. Picks us up however we are. We come to him how we are. He meets us where we are. No preconditions. The only precondition is what? To know that we are unqualified. He delights in you. That's why he rescues you. That's why he pursues you every day. Hope loves you. Hope the noun. God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Not hope the verb. I hope in the whimsical. Not talking about a verb. Talking about a noun. Hope loves you. Hope will never leave you alone. Ever. When you think he's cosmic and far off and you think you've disappointed him, he's standing right there saying, I'm here. Hope, the noun, God, his presence. He dwells among his people. Hope is not misty already touched on that a little bit earlier. Hope is not something that you can lose tomorrow. Like a job or a family member or health or any other thing that you might desire. It's not misty. Hope is there, remains there, loves you thick and thin. Hope will not deceive you and say, you've got it. And then a year down the road, the hope disappoints you. Hope never disappoints. When we're talking about God. Hope never leaves you alone when we're talking about God. Hope never stops loving you when we're talking about God. So we want to be encouraged though, right? Because it's about hope. We see the writer of the Psalms being entangled by death. We see him acknowledging that God is working and moving and there's thunderous things happening around him. And he hears that God delights in him. That's good, right? But scripture says also that nothing is impossible for him. We need hope where we're at right now. Do you believe? And here's what I mean by that. Not do you believe in God. Most people, most people would say, Absolutely, I believe in God. Are you ready for this? Do you believe the God who you say you believe in? That's completely different. I believe in God. Yeah, he's there. Do you believe the God you believe in? Do you believe the words that come out of his mouth? Or does culture outweigh? Does your flesh and what you think he can accomplish outweigh what he says? Can we just be... Completely real about that? Poyo, this is what I feel right now. I don't care that he says that nothing is impossible. Reality for me is this. So we let our human ideas step on, walk over God's word and say, that's not good enough for me because you're not proving it to me. 
The question isn't, do you believe in God? The question for us is, do we believe the God we believe in? So there are hundreds of stories that I could share for the sake of just setting up this first week. I thought of a few, wrote down a few. Abraham and Sarah. God says, there's going to be a nation that will be your descendants. A nation. He says, you're going to have more descendants than there are stars in the sky. You know what Abraham and Sarah do? They laugh. At the creator of the world, it seems physically and cognitively so impossible that they laugh. They're in their hundreds. They're not pregnant. They can't even have a baby in their minds. But God has spoken. His word comes like an anvil and smashes their opinions or their thoughts. And what happens? You know, the baby's born, right? What's impossible for you and me is not impossible for God. Do we believe the God that we believe in? Joseph, little teenager, little punk maybe, hated by his older brothers, backstabbed and hated, in prison, forgotten, accused of crimes. Tough. Nothing was impossible for God, though. God had spoken and told him something about his future. God kept his word. He sat down next to the Pharaoh of Egypt and was the second in command, most, second most powerful person in the world at that point. Little punk kid who his brothers backstabbed and threw in a pit. Sold him off as a slave. God's word remained though. Came like an anvil, smashed their thoughts and even his thoughts in the middle of adversity. Ruth. Story about a woman who was a foreigner and a widow. All the odds stacked against her. Being a foreigner, being a widow, and being a woman back in these times was the worst of the worst of the worst. We've got to try and understand that context for a second. Because right now, being a foreigner, a woman, and a widow is not a big deal. But that was the worst of the worst. You're in a land where it's, you don't have your people around you. You're a widow, nobody to take care of you. And the odds are really bad. Do you feel like the odds are against you? The odds of time, the odds of preparation, the odds of, you name it of culture, of society, of living up to, do you feel like everything is against you? Guess what? The story's for you. God flexes his muscle in the middle of perceived adversity. He says, I'm going to provide, because I've spoken. She finds a husband. A husband that provides all her needs. She's accepted her story is one we still talk about today to encourage us and give us hope. 
our ways are not his ways. Do we believe the God that we believe in though? Do we? Or are you so set in your ways that that outweighs his word? Look at my life. From a selfish, punk, non-caring, step over whoever, get your way to satisfy your needs, worst of the worst, to him choosing to use my life despite the adversity, not because of me, but because he delights in me. Do you see that? That's your story too. He says, he says, I delight in you. He says, you're my son. He says, you're my daughter. And he says, I'm going to shine on you. I desire to shine on you. You know what hope wants you to do? You know what it wants me to do? It wants us to rest. Hope wants us to lay down and rest and trust. Second Corinthians one nine is written by a, a guy whose name is Paul, basically the most famous church starter in all of history. And he's been through so much hell on earth. Shipwrecked, beaten up by mobs, whipped, his back lashed open, accused of false crimes, bitten by snakes. And the list goes on and on and on. And the adversity is dark, dark as gets. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. And he just gives a little snippet of his adversity, of the darkness of the night. He says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Do you feel like right now you are beyond your ability to endure? Take off the facade of everything's happy, amazing, perfect. Are there some things in life that you feel like they're just too tough to endure. He says, and we thought we would never live through it. Talk about despair and adversity and hopelessness. I thought I would never live through it. He says, in fact, we expected to die a physical death. I know I've got a whole bunch of stuff that I'm trying to 
be hopeful in. None of them is physical death, though. But there are some things that feel like physical death. He says, we, f- we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. What was the result of the suffering and the despair? The result is that he said, it's not about me. I need to start relying on God. And in that beauty, we see weight coming off of our shoulders, weight that we are not meant to carry. And he says, stop. It would do us good to repent. Right here in your heart, in your mind, say, God, I believe in God, but I don't believe what you say. We repent. That's it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've made it more about me than about you. I'm sorry that I have not let your word overcome the tangible that I want to feel and touch and prove. And he's faithful and just and loving and he delights in you and he says, come here. And he picks you up. And we rest. This is the good news. I've said this many times before. If you don't come into a Sunday morning and ever walk out with good news, I am not doing my job. I'm not proclaiming God's word faithfully, if you don't walk out of here and say, I can rest because he's at work. Isaiah 64, 4 says he works for those who wait on him. That's who he works for. It doesn't say those who try harder. His last words on the cross after he was stuck a sponge in his face to, to give him some liquid. His last words before he hung his head in John 19.30 were, It is finished. It is accomplished. It is done. That takes the weight off of my shoulders. It gives me a sense of rest. And I can stop. And I can repent and I say, I trust you. That in the night of adversity... Hope shines. That in the night of adversity, he would flex his muscle and do what only he can do. And I pray right now that our hope would be in him, the person and the power of Jesus, and that he would encourage us and that he would show up in tangible ways.